This is The Scoop, a podcast run by student journalists offering teenagers perspectives on the latest happenings. We hope to provide authentic conversations that allow a quick listen wherever you are. was recorded prior to the subsequent events. The storming of Capitol Hill on January 6th, the Georgia Senate runoff elections, as well as the California COVID-19 vaccine rollout. Please visit the Oracle website, archeroracle.org, for coverage of the event and its aftermath. You can also visit the CDC website for any further questions regarding the coronavirus vaccination. Just over seven weeks ago, media outlets declared Joe Biden and Kamala Harris the 2020 presidential election winners. Biden and Harris secured their victory as president and vice president-elect on November 7th after taking a conclusive lead in key states. This was a historic election that drew a record number of voters, with Biden and Trump receiving more popular votes than any other candidate in history. Biden had approximately 75 million and Trump 71 million. These last four years, America's youth has been at the center of politics. Whether that be organizing protests on climate change and racial injustice, or volunteering at the polls and educating their local and neighboring communities on the importance of voting, Gen Z has been a leading force for change. This election specifically marked a historic surge in youth voter turnout. As of November 18th, according to the Center for Information and Research on Civic Learning and Engagement, approximately 52 to 55 percent of voting eligible young people ages 18 to 29 cast a ballot in this election. Today, we have three politically engaged seniors to discuss what it looks like to be a young person in America and how you can educate yourself on current events. Please welcome Addie Lee, Gracie Wiles, and Nora Adler. Hi. Um, yeah, I'm Addie. Uh, thanks so much for having me. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm Nora Adler. Hi, I'm Gracie Wiles, and I'm really excited to be on the podcast today. I guess we should just dive in. So what do you think energized the surge in youth voter turnout this year? So I think partly it's because when there is a highly publicized and kind of a close call race, that just tends to bring a lot of people to the polls. So I think that's part of the reason. Another is there's been a lot of voter outreach, like when we all vote, uh, for example, like that they've registered so many voters and there's so many organizations like that. And really since Trump's presidency, there's just been a lot of political and social movements like the Women's March and gun rights protests, which engaged younger generation. And then obviously they are going to want to say since they, they're the ones marching on the streets. So I think that also helped. I think the surge in youth voter turnout was definitely attributed to Trump. I got to say it because it's true. <laughs> I think Trump really aggressively targets a lot of beliefs and issues that the youth care deeply about. Climate change being one of them, immigration, um, just general, I don't know, respect of human beings, <laughs> if we're looking at a wider level. But I think Trump was such a figure of so many terrible things. But being part of the youth, I think like we were so mobilized to go to, I don't know, I don't want to say rise up, but the surge in youth voter turnout, I think was definitely attributed as a response to sort of him. And I think we're seeing that a lot, not just if you're right on the precipice of voting like 17 turning 18, but 
14, 15, 13, tons of teenagers are educated and engaged and wanting to learn more. And I think that has to do with that surge in youth voter turnout. And that also kind of reminds me of, you know, I feel like Teen Vogue in the last few years has kind of shifted gears from culture, celebrity style outfits to politics and focusing on government. And I think that's because all of these teenagers are, that's what they want to know about now. It's no longer, I mean, of course, I mean, fashion is still something that people are curious about, but I think there's definitely a lot more engagement and curiosity regarding politics. I agree. I think as like, I don't, I don't really mean to speak on behalf of all of the youth in America, but like, <laughs> we like, we saw a lot of like apathy, um, and just kind of complacency in the government and in the people that were voting and like that we were tired of it in just every sector of the government and every sector of political issues. Like people, people are apathetic because it doesn't affect them. And I think like, we're like, this is our future. And so we were tired of it. So we're like, well, we're going to do something about it if you guys aren't going to. Yeah. I think there's also an interesting point in there that I don't necessarily think that our generation is all that special. I mean, we are, we do have a lot of youth voter turnout, but I do think we see a lot of stuff that's being like, Gen Z is going to save the world. Maybe we are. But I think like a big part is that student leaders in the political sphere and in um, civic rights have always been leaders in that world. And I think really what we have as a generation is we have the opportunity to have access to technology and really a way for us to build communities to target that in a way that our past um, student leaders really couldn't do. But I think that's kind of what makes us stand out as a generation. But I think student leaders have really been prevalent in the civic sphere for a while. You mentioned the Voices of Democracy, which I know is a senior seminar that all three of you take together. Would you mind breaking that down for me a little bit more, talking about what you've gained from that course throughout the semester? I love that class so much. It's so fun and interesting and engaging, but I also feel like a more educated citizen. I'm learning all these new things about our election system. You just learn about the different rhetoric behind people who think it should go and people who think it should stay. So it's just really relevant, but part of the class is staying up to date with the news, which is just a great skill as we approach adulthood and go out into the real world. So I really just enjoyed feeling engaged. I agree. Um, I think it kind of offered a lot of different resources to help me become an educated citizen. And I definitely felt that because of that class, when I went to go vote, I felt like an educated voter and I felt like I knew what I needed to do in order to feel confident in the choices that I was making. Learn not just how to be an educated voter, but the importance of being one. And I just think it exposed me to a lot of different perspectives and different accounts that I wouldn't necessarily have thought about before. Yeah, Nora, you were saying that the Voices of Democracy seminar covers a lot of relevant information. And just using Georgia as an example, do you feel like that's a topic that you've had to deep dive on your own to be educated on the issue? Or is that something that you've been able to cover within the class? Or neither? And do you feel like because all three of you are constantly engaging in such political environments such as you know, volunteering at When We All Vote or the grassroots headquarters, do you feel like those opportunities are educating you instead? Well, I think Voice of Democracy isn't necessarily supposed to be a class that gives you all of the political information you need because that would be impossible. (laughs) But um, I think what it really does is it really provides a great place and almost community, which is weird because it's a class, but to really talk about what's happening in current events 
And we did talk a lot about Georgia. And we also talked a lot about the Senate races. We actually did a project where each of us really um, did one that was a toss up. So we could present to the class about it. But it was really a great way to really learn about it on sort of the topical level so that we could really dive into it deeper um, on our own. I think definitely both. Um, I think I've gotten a lot more um, educated on specific issues and specific aspects through this class. Um, but I definitely did have to do outside of outside research on certain races. And I, that also could just be because of the political organization I'm involved with. But, um, I also think it, maybe I would have been able to go into more depth in this course if, cause we only have so many classes. It was kind of cut this year and we only meet so many times a week. Plus it's only a semester class. So it has its limitations, but I think with its limitations, I was able to kind of get a more detailed understanding and it also while it did give me like the detailed understanding within the course within the curriculum it made me want to research more just so that I knew like what I was talking about and do you feel like the material that you're covering in the voices of democracy seminar should be something required nationwide or on just an archer level adopted into the core curriculum Definitely. I just don't understand why this would not be required because that this is what is our democracy. Like this is so important and vital for everyone to be learning and just have the opportunity to be engaged with too. I think the Voice of Democracy class is a really great class for people who are really interested in politics. I think it, I don't think it necessarily needs to be integrated into Archer's core curriculum, but that is because Archer is a fantastic um, way of really teaching government throughout its history classes. Um, I think it's very different from saying that. I think talking about misinformation, talking about voting, the branches of government, really diving deep into that. And what it means to be a voter is something that should be really covered extensively all across public education and really just education in America, which it really isn't that much right now. I don't necessarily think like a really specific class like Voices of Democracy needs to be a mandatory, but I think we definitely do need to expand sort of our civically minded classes as a whole. I mean, I totally think that partially because I'm biased and love the class. Um, and I'm just like, I'm very interested in this type of thing. So that's, you know, my bias, making sure I acknowledge that. But I think it's really important because it does give you that kind of, you hear people kind of talking about like, oh my gosh, I'm never going to need to learn, like know how to use parabolas in my day-to-day life. Whereas like this, you can, like, this is teaching you how to be like an educated voter and that's really important in your day-to-day life and that gives you a kind of outside of school application that I think a lot of students tend to be like they look for in their classes especially when they don't want to be in the class but I think it would be very beneficial to be part of Archer's core curriculum and I think it's just been a very beneficial class for me and for the people because I did vote and for the people that didn't vote it just helped them become more aware and it also encourages you to kind of like consult other sources and making sure you're you're not using sources that have too much bias because you want to kind of you want to know how to know the facts rather than the interpreted version of the facts. Mm -hmm. And do you feel like the history courses that you've experienced discuss how interconnected the government is in that? I mean, not just showing, you know, the definitions of the judicial, the executive, the legislative branch, but really showing you that if you, for example, have a Democratic president and a Republican Senate, legislation won't get passed. Those little details that actually are (laughs) valuable during something like an election. I think we have a fantastic history department, but I also think that topics like that, talking about partisanship, Republicans versus Democrats, is a delicate topic. I think it's definitely something that we talk a lot about in Voice of Democracy Senior Seminar, 
But I think it's something that you definitely have to build up a greater understanding of government systems to be able to talk about that. I think Arsh does a great job of doing it, but I would really love to see some more integration of that. Um, like you said, sort of in, I don't know, I think I could have handled it in junior year. I think yes and no. I think there's always room for updating, especially considering like it's kind of an ever-changing situation just based off of like polarization has now become more of a factor and parties are so divided that like it doesn't really like maybe your all your beliefs don't align with all the Republican candidates but you're going to vote Republican down the ballot because you feel threatened by Democrats so you want to kind of join together with your party and so I think that's happening a lot more now than it had in previous years. I think that I definitely get a good understanding of the function of the different branches of government and how how they're interconnected, but I don't think that I have so many like realistic examples. And I think more recently is when I came to realize that a Democratic president and a a Republican Senate are kind of a recipe for disaster because nothing is going to get passed. And I think that's kind of super important to realize because then you're also acknowledging the tension between the parties, which is something that, so I do think that there's definitely room for upgrading. I I do think that the course I'm taking this year focuses on that. The Voice of Democracy focuses on that more so than past history classes, but I also don't know in terms of curriculum how you would really work that in. I think there's always room for, for that type of learning. I think like for me, it's always been hard to conceptualize the different branches of government because that felt always super textbooky. I think it really wasn't until I took my Voice of Democracy class that I really like solidified that information because I was able to see it in practice and not just theoretically. But I think that in uh, 11th grade, when I was in U.S. history, we didn't really go over. We went over the like branches of government in a very broad way, but we didn't really go into the specifics like we do in my Voice of Democracy class. Do you guys feel like our generation will be or is more aware of the bigger picture? And by that, I mean not just focusing on the presidency, but recognizing that the elections happening all the way down the ballot are just as crucial. I think that they're probably that our generation is probably more aware of that now than they would have been previously, even being a few months ago. And I'm hoping that that lasts. But I do think that it is something that we need to continue bringing attention to. And I also think that people have become more aware of up and down the ballot, like candidates, more in regards to the House and the Senate. And I think that people still kind of lack awareness of other candidates that are running for positions that I honestly don't even know what they're for. Like I, when I voted, I was like doing the sample ballot and just kind of thinking like, I actually don't, well, not only do I not know who these people are, I don't know what these positions are. So it did take definitely additional research. And I tend to consider myself relatively educated in the political realm. And so I think that even those really small seats, I think they kind of need not more publicity, but just more awareness of like, these are going to impact you probably the most. And I don't think people understand that even now. I mean, some of the rhetoric that I've been hearing this summer is Instagram posts saying, look at your local government to have a more impact on your daily life. So I definitely think that kind of that like has shifted a lot. However, I still would say, like, I still know some people who live in different parts of the country who aren't as invested. It might just be a bubble thing, but I think so. 
That's that's a really good question. Um, I definitely think that our generation is heading in a great direction to really become more aware. I think more work definitely needs to be done. But I think honestly, with the access that we have to information and really being able to share information, it is 100%, I think, going to be something that people focus on. The candidates on the down ballot, that is. While this isn't necessarily applicable to Californians, Nora kind of mentioned the Georgia elections. And I think that like people have to realize that kind of the work for the election isn't done yet. I know a lot of people put in their time um, to volunteer, but like there are still races and they're crucial races um, because if Democrats win both of the Georgia seats, then Kamala Harris becomes the like tiebreaker. Um, and so even even the work in regards to the election aren't finished. Um, so I think that's something to focus on. But also, I think I can't even fathom how President-elect Biden is going to go into, could enter into the White House with all that he does have to do, because there's a lot of change that needs to be made. And it's really hard to like find the capacity to focus on all of the aspects that need to be focused on with the like with the intensity that they need the focus in the middle of a pandemic that needs immediate attention. Um, and, and I do wonder how he's going to be able to accomplish that, especially if Democrats don't have the Senate, because it'll be incredibly hard for him to pass any legislation if he can't get it through the Senate. I mean, to build off of that, really one of the biggest things that we don't want to do is come into the assumption that now that Trump has been sort of not, he's not, he's not out of the office yet, but now that we've sort of voted him out that the job is done, the job is nowhere near done. And it, this entire thing might've been futile if we don't get Georgia. And I think that's, it's really essential. And I think another message that we really need to be solidifying is the idea that we have to be patient. Like there are, there are so many things, even without COVID, there would be so much for Biden to tackle, but you bring COVID into it as well. And there are an immeasurable amount of things that need to be changed. But I think if we can, I mean, as Democrats, as even just American citizens, if we can be patient, then hopefully things will work out. But I also think we have to come to terms with the fact that not everything is going to get solved, which yeah. it's American politics. So, <laughs> And what issues are you most concerned about moving forward or maybe top two or top three issues that you think President-elect Joe Biden needs to prioritize? I think there are just so many. And obviously he can't tackle all of them um, because that's not a reasonable request right now. But <laughs> I think Climate change has to kind of be at the forefront of things. Like we can't make a difference in anything else if we don't have a planet, I think. Um, and I think climate change is related to a lot more things than we think it is. Like there's climate injustice in more like sectors other than like the seas are rising. Like there, it's, there's more to it than that. Um, and I think if we start now and take big action, like we can make a really big difference. I think systematic racism is also something that totally needs to be addressed and that's the, the biggest category to probably ever exist because it has so many like it's the biggest umbrella term and has so many different like facets to it but I think they need to be not only addressed but like they need to be seriously acknowledged um and that's going to take like research as well just because it exists in so many more places than we think it does um and then 
I'm just worried for women's rights because of the new Supreme Court appointees, or not appointee, the new Supreme Court justice. His plan is the most progressive climate plan that's ever been presented in a presidential election. And so what happened was when he was trying to get nominated, he had a very basic, like not just not a good climate plan. And everyone else who was running had these really great climate plans. So then Biden switched his climate plan to the one he currently has. And then you saw a rise of support for him. So I think that really changed that around for him. His climate plan is very much focused on economic factors and also on social factors to help get this climate agenda. Like one of his big focuses is clean energy and becoming net zero by 2050. And so, I mean, all of his plans are a little bit vague, which I think is just kind of normal for a politician, but he wants to invest in clean air and start to move U.S.'s energy sources away from coal and other fossil fuels and towards clean energy. And like, I know he he will put like something like 50,000 charging stations um, in the U.S. and like a railway. So he has like a bunch of ideas of how we're going to do that. And then part of that is making sure people who have who be most impacted by climate and by the shift away from coal have support. So that means lower income communities kind of have that support and communities of color that are disproportionately harmed will also have a focus and more of a say since they're the ones who are mostly impacted. And also like coal miners and people who will start losing their jobs will also have support in maybe switching jobs to like solar panels or whatever it may be. Do you feel like there are any parts of his plan that maybe are a bit weak and need improvement or on the contrary, maybe his plans are a bit too ambitious? I think that in any plan that a presidential, well, most presidential nominees say, they're always too ambitious. Like you're going to have setbacks. You're not going to be able to get everything done on the agenda. But at the same time, his plan could be a lot more specific. Like in, like how specifically are you going to start to engage communities of color and how specifically like in your four terms how are you going to change things around quickly um and but the good news is that joe biden is kind of a negotiator like known as a negotiator known as someone who kind of reaches across across the aisle which is exactly what we need with climate legislation like bipartisan um legislation just sticks faster and that sticks longer and that's what we need is long-term changes mm-hmm What do you think the first order of business climate related from the Biden-Harris administration should or will be? Well, his first order of business will be rejoining the Paris Climate Agreement. Who will do that on day one, apparently. But I think his, I'm guessing that in his terms, he's just going to focus on transferring to clean energy because that will save a lot of emissions. And like he can start by having like a federal carbon tax or a federal cap and trade more strict or something like that so that's what i think he's going to focus on in this presidency but we'll see how does the united states re-entering the paris climate agreement going to affect us well i mean part of it is just the rhetoric of it when you have people at the top saying this is a priority it will kind of seep down through all the government and to the people and so i think it's more part of it is that it's more of this is what we support And another part is that we will be, climate change isn't a thing that will affect just the U.S. So we're going to need to cooperate and learn from and teach or whatever it may be other countries to like work together towards this one goal because this is a crisis that we are all facing as as a world. 
So I think that will help not just have like, this is a US problem, like this is a world problem. And the joining the Paris Climate Agreement recognizes that. Um, I'm concerned about COVID. I think, I mean, we all know this, but COVID is the number one issue at the moment. And I think obviously there are a lot of social issues that I care deeply about. Um, abortion, climate change, climate change being a huge one. But COVID is the COVID mismanagement that Trump sort of is going to leave Biden with is just having a terrible impact. And I think that is the first thing that we need to address. And I also think really this thought of like what he, what the future of the Biden-Harris administration is and should be is going to change depending on what happens in Georgia. Because if it's a Republican Senate, there's not really going to be a lot that he can do, sadly. So figuring really that out, figuring out how to deal with this pandemic, I think are like the biggest, most important things at the moment. And then climate change and other other issues that I know I'm personally passionate about and that the youth are passionate about. But COVID, I think, is the number one. I think that because the vaccine is at the forefront of absolutely everybody's mind and it's the to- like the biggest topic on the news because that's looking hopeful and giving a lot of people hope and which is something I think everyone needs right now. So that's what everyone wants to focus on. Um, I think we kind of just that's something that needs to be addressed, but I think they seriously need to think about who's going to get it first. And they can't just be like, yeah, all the rich white people are going to get it first because that's just not okay. Um, And you like that's something obviously they're not going to go ahead and be like, yeah, we're just going to give it to all of the rich people. Obviously, they're not going to say that, but it tends to happen. Um, And so they seriously need to prioritize like the nurses, the people who are actually on the front line, like they need to be getting it first. Um, and I think Gavin Newsom tweeted the other day something about how California is getting a shipment in December of like 30,000 or 300,000 vaccines. And there are like 39 million people in America. I mean, in California, not in America, in California. <laughs> and so that's really exciting. But like, make sure those go to the nurses, like make sure you're not really oddly distributing those that very small amount of vaccine throughout California. So I, I think that's going to be something they definitely do and definitely should be focused on, but also acknowledging that the vaccine can't be given to absolutely every person. And so they have to still have restrictions and they need to mandate the the masks that has to be, a they have to mandate that because even when there is a vaccine, we need to be wearing masks. They just need to kind of get it under control and they need to what they really need to do is acknowledge that we need to listen to the scientists that the scientists know what they know what they're talking about and like that is who place trust and like give scientists credibility so that people are actually like wake up and listen and maybe that'll do something i think a really important thing would just be to shift, and he's already started to do this, but really just shifting that messaging of alleviating this fact of the virus being a political issue, which, you know what, it might already be that way. But the fact that masks were politicized is absolutely ridiculous. And Biden, I think, is a man who can come up and start sort of this job and do start doing this work of making, I feel like, America as a nation feel like it's all of us against the virus and not um, this weird, like we're still divided. We're going to be divided for a while, but (laughs) I think really shifting this idea of the virus being politicized and just started in reinforcing that message that this is something we all have to come together to beat. 
Are there any resources that you guys recommend for students and anyone listening really to get involved and educate themselves on climate change, social justice, the pandemic, or maybe just some rising stars in the political field that you feel like, you know, this is a person that you have to know, this is a person you should follow on social media, anything like that? Um, so two that I'm thinking of, one, this woman named, young woman named Nayeli Kobo, who um, is from South Central, I think South Central LA, and I first heard of her because either it was that I, I don't know what, what happened first, but last year she spoke at the downtown climate march, and she her story was really inspiring, so she's climate change has had a huge impact on her life because of oil drilling in her neighborhood that caused her and many people in her community to have a lot of health issues. And so she is like a huge activist for local, like trying to get these oil drilling companies to stop drilling oil next to these houses that are literally causing cancer and heart palpitations. So through ACS, we talked to her and she was going to come speak, but then she couldn't. So She's been really inspiring. And then also this woman named Dr. Ayana Elizabeth Johnson, who has a podcast called How to Save a Planet. And she's a marine biologist and and her podcast is really great. And it's been a really great resource for me to listen to really engaging stories, but also learn a lot about climate change. Also, her Instagram has a lot of great resources, like, like the things she posts on it um, have really educated me. And she also wrote a book called All We Can Save that, or she edited a book and it's like maybe eight women writers about the climate, but her focus on like diversity in every aspect is really great for expanding the climate movement and like engaging different voices. Like I didn't really know that women and climate had, or women really had like an important role in the climate, but I'm learning new things from her. Um... Yeah, I think that would probably be my favorite part about the One Way of Vote program would be that I got to be on calls with student leaders, student civic leaders from across the world. And I can't pick out just one person because if I just said a name, I don't think it would mean anything to anyone. But people who really were doing work in states that were high priority states, so states with low voter turnout, were doing fantastic work and being able to talk to them and hear about what they were doing in their states to really combat the negative voter culture and the voter disenfranchisement too was really just inspiring just as a whole in a community. So not a specific student leader, but more of a community. Uh, I don't even know how to answer this because I think that there are a lot of like politicians that I, Katie Porter, who's a U.S. representative for District 45, I believe was elected in the 2018 midterms. And she is just watching her kind of take down those big corporations and Senate hearings. I'm like, wow, go you. That's so cool. So like things like that and obviously like watching AOC do the same like is so cool and so inspiring and also to see like women in places of representation in places where I might want to be someday is like very empowering to me. But I also think just kind of inspired by my peers that have like taken action and really said like this is enough um, and then also tried like done absolutely everything they can to get other people involved. They're not just kind of thinking like I'm going to get involved and do this and do that, whatever. They're They're like, yes, I'm going to do all these things, but I want as many people as I can to do them with me. And that's how you make a big difference. And so watching like Emma London and Hannah Joe like reach out to everyone they know and ask people to help them like get anyone they can to help get other people to like register to vote. I think just seeing and knowing that there are people like that gives me hope and inspires me to keep doing what I do. 
Nora, you just mentioned a podcast. Do either of you, Gracie or Addie, have any other specific recommendations for those looking to stay educated and on top of current events? That could also be a podcast or maybe an article you just read or a specific news source that you really like to keep up with. Um, I think that I listen to this podcast when I run. It's called The Daily, and they have an episode every day, But the, and they talk um, – it's by The New York Times – um, and I think it does a pretty good job, in my opinion, of being relatively unbiased and kind of giving you just like the facts. Um, and it's like short, it's like 30, 40 minutes. Um, and they don't just do episodes on like American politics and like they'll do international things as well. And I think it's like, it's a pretty good source. Um, and it's just like, it's short. It's kind of just like some news. Um, I think this this new website that I hadn't heard of before I took this class um, called All Sides is really interesting because it kind of categorizes different news sources like Fox and MSNBC is like left and right and then gives you also like more center um, art like news sources like the New York Times, BBC um, and stuff like that and it'll pair certain topics to like together and give you all three and you can compare like the fox news to the msnbc to the bbc and all on the same topic which is really really interesting um and so i think that's a good resource to go if you're trying to get some like more moderate um and less biased sources but also to see how much they differ and like if someone is reading fox news every day versus the moderate source versus the more left source like you're gonna see a in, for some topics, like a crazy disparity in information. And so I think that also gives you some insight into like the polarization and where it's coming from, like why it's happening. One mail vote, my school votes, by the way, is going to be continuing throughout the year. So if anyone listening is interested in getting involved, um, let me know. And we can definitely set that up in the future. But yeah, and voting processes are hard. And the rules are different in, in almost every state. And it's way more complicated than a lot of people think, which is really frustrating. But it's a really great experience. No, all three of you are such fabulous inspirations and uh, examples of what it means to be a student activist. And I think that you are going, uh, this podcast, you talking on this podcast is going to inspire all of the Archer community and definitely those who extend the Archer community. And I'm so happy that I got to speak to you and learn from you and have you here today. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you so much. If you liked the sound of this episode, subscribe to The Scoop Podcast. It's free. Starting this school year, we'll be chatting with you and giving the daily scoop on life at Archer. If you're new to all things podcasts and need more info on how to listen, we are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and the Oracle website, archeroracle.org. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay strong. See you next time.